Welcome to summer. And after the, the year and the winter we had, it's good to be here, isn't it? Well, this is a series that we're going to start this summer. And I wasn't going to start off with this story, but it feels appropriate now. We obviously have put a lot into a, into a series. And today when I walked in, Alex Fortenberry, one of the great guys that I love, and he stepped up and took the challenge to volunteer. And he's serving on our, on our tech team and beginning today. His dad's also one of the guys that we remember on this Memorial Day as giving the ultimate sacrifice. He took one look at this setup here and he goes, Scott, your preaching's finally reached the bottom of the barrel, hasn't it? <laughs> Said, Alex, I'll, I'll do the jokes. Thanks. You know, I'm so grateful for him. We are starting this series of I'm in. And we're going to talk about what it means to be in on our faith. And to bring us up to speed, I want to tell a story from my college days, and I shared this many years ago, but outside of Abilene, there is a bridge that, if you know how to find it, it's no longer in use, but you can go jump off of it into the river below, or more like the creek below. Well, my junior year, my roommate and I, one of my best friends, we took a January short course if you know anything about a January short course, they are, that's an intense five days. It's from eight to five every day with all of the reading and all of the homework crammed into one week. And this particular short course was really focused into getting us ready for ministry, but it felt like its job was to help us deal with all of the baggage that we carry in our lives. And so for the first time in my young adult life, I was having to deal with stuff some wounds, some hurts, some pains from my childhood on and really trying to process that stuff. So least to say, it was one intense week. And so by the end of it, by Friday, we are physically spent, we're mentally spent, and we're emotionally spent. We were just exhausted. So we are walking out, my roommate and I, we were taking this class together, we're walking out the door and we just feel this weight upon us. And he turns to me and says, you want to go jump off the bridge? Like, like we need to relieve some stress here. And so being the wise person that I was, I said, sure. Okay, remember, this is in January, okay? It is cold right now. Now, it's not quite snowed cold, but it was close. It at least felt that way. And we're going to go jump into water. And also, remember, it's dark. I mean, the, the sun's already headed down, and by the time we made the 15, 20-minute drive out there, so yeah, let's do this. So we hop in the car, where we actually go home, grab our swim trunks, hop in the car, head off down the road. It's about 15 miles out. Don't worry, parents, I'm not going to give the actual location. My son's a freshman or now a sophomore out at ACU right now, and he'll be looking this place up, I know. And we pull off, and you can only see it. Because once again, it was one of those places, one of those old bridges where um, it had the iron structure, the steel structure over it. And years later, the highway department had come through and had literally moved the road and just abandoned that bridge. And so the roadbed was no longer even in the bridge. But what you did is you made your way out on the iron structure, and then you could climb to the top of the iron structure and then jump off, and, there, and I'm going to say it's like four stories at that point. By the time you jump from that before you get to the water. 
So, now, we weren't smart enough to actually check and see that the water was deep enough at this point. <laughs> because we didn't want to be cold. That's how thought out this was. But we make our way out there. And then we have to go into the conversation. You know, when your friend, you have to get in the double dog dare you kind of discussion. And we're looking at each other going, you're going to jump? You're going to jump? I'm going to jump. You're going to jump? I'm going to jump. And we're like negotiating this out right now. He says, okay, let's jump. And at that moment, a question went through my brain. How did I get here? What, what led in my life up to this moment? And you see, we were on the edge of a decision point. Because just like the kids in the video, we'd come to the very edge, and now the decision came, do we leap or not? Do we take the leap of faith? And it's those decision points that I want to talk about in this series. Those, those moments where, you know, that's a literal leap of faith, but for many of us, we encounter those decision points all the time. And to get to that moment, there had been a series of decision points. When we walked out of the class, said, are we going to go jump? That was a decision point. When we took the class, we didn't know where that was going to lead, but that was a decision point. And so many, much of our life is driven by our decision points. And in fact, wherever you are right now in life, whatever you are, is because of decision points by you or by someone else that's brought you to this moment. And so those decision points are so critical. And if you think about decision points in your life, there are some minor ones that we make every single day. And there may be some ones we think are minor that turn out to be major. And there's some major ones that we know are life-changing. And there's some decision points that we know that when we make this step or this leap of faith, it changes everything that's going to follow. In fact, most of your life, if you're, if you're you know, in your 20s, you can sum up your life up to that point to just a couple of major decision points, right? Where I decided to go to school or the major I decided to take. You can sum up a season in your life with a decision point of then we decided to get married. Then we decided to have kids. Or I decided to take this job. I decided to take that job. I decided not to take a job. And it's these decision points that we go through that make all the difference. And so today, I want to talk about those. And this is what we're going to talk about for the next several weeks, particularly using the life of somebody that you probably have already heard of, and that's the life of the Apostle Peter. Now, apostle was a title that he acquired later. But when we first meet Peter, before he became the leader in the church, before he became an apostle of Jesus, before he was to write two of the books that we have in our New Testament that bear his name, 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he was a fisherman. And he was going to encounter, through knowing Jesus, a series of decision points that we're going to look at. And sometimes he made the leap of faith. And sometimes he didn't. And that made all the difference. But we're going to explore that to see what it means to make this leap of faith. And it may seem like Peter's sort of this unreal hero of the Bible, but I want you to see every step of the way that Peter is no different than you, no different than me, because he was at that moment and he was faced with the same kind of decisions that we are faced with. Do you take the step or not. Because there's something about those decision points that cause us to step out into 
the unknown. And that's where we find Peter right now. Long before people were naming churches and naming hospitals after him, we find him doing what he knows. The only thing that he knows. And he's fishing. He's not fishing because it's his hobby. He's fishing because it's his job. It's his career. It's his income. It's his security. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open to Matthew chapter 4. It's this passage that Austin just read. And we're going to walk right back through it again. But I want you to do it with an imagination in your, in your mind that you would see that maybe this area that we've got up here right now is not unlike what Peter is next to. Maybe he's on a dock. Maybe he's just offshore. But he's fishing. And Jesus walks into that moment. And in Matthew chapter 4, beginning verse 18, we're going to just read through these four, five verses, and then I'm going to come back and unpack some of it. Matthew 4, 18 says this. It says, As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter. Now, Simon has two names. At first he's called Simon, and then later in the Gospels we learn that Jesus gives him a nickname. He calls him Peter, which means rock. You're a rock. And, it, and that name has all kinds of meaning to it. One, it's going to be a sign of how strong he is in the faith. But it's also going to mean kind of sort of the clod that he is at times. And how he sort of bulldozes his way through life, sometimes without thinking. And this is the reason that we can relate to Peter. Because his story, which we have captured is not always a hero story for him. It's his highs and his lows. So this is where he encounters Peter. He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake. And I love the next line. For they were fishermen. Well, that's good because it had been kind of silly for any other reason. But they were fishermen. Jesus says, come follow me. And I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Jesus goes on down. Going from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. See the decision point? You, you see the leap of faith there's to make? Peter's doing what he knows. He's got the nets in hand. And he's doing his job. And it's a job he was good at. And it's a job he was familiar with. He would cast the nets. They'd pull in the fish. They'd clean the fish or tend to the fish or whatever. They'd take them to market. They would sell the fish. They had income. They had security. He was confident in this. And Jesus walks along, and I believe that Peter recognized who Jesus was, because Jesus by this point has some notoriety. He is a traveling rabbi, an itinerant rabbi going around, and he has not done yet what most rabbis have done, is that he's gathered his students. And what you need to know in this time is if you wanted to go to graduate school, if, if you wanted to be the most professional, highest office you could attain, the way that you did that, there was one role that you got to do, and that was becoming a student of a known rabbi. 
And the way it worked is you rarely just made application for it. The rabbis got to pick who became their students. And if you were selected, it was a high honor. And the fact that Peter and Andrew and James and John and all the other disciples that Jesus is going to end up selecting and inviting to come follow him, that they're not with a rabbi, but they're out doing these other careers, means they had been passed over already. That, that no other rabbi had selected them. And so those not selected go into their trade. And so Peter and everybody else has already been passed over. Now here comes Jesus, this rabbi, that has some notoriety because he has this unique teaching and preaching style. And he recognizes that maybe there was even a crowd with him when he came along. And while Peter is doing that which he knows best, throwing the nets out, Jesus calls to him or walks up beside him if he's on a dock. says, come follow me. Why don't you look at that verse again? This time I've emphasized some things. Come follow me. And in that decision moment, in that leap of faith, Peter says, I'm in. And they left their nets. Now, I want you to pay attention because it said they were casting nets. And when you get to James and John, it says they were preparing their nets. And they've got the same kind of response. Jesus, Jesus called them immediately. They left the boat and their father. I think he felt about that. I think old Zeb felt. You know, the boys that were going to take over the business. Maybe, just maybe, he was thrilled. Because, once again... It's like they just got admitted to graduate school. And maybe it's going to be a different life, but whatever it is, they walk away. And so we've got this decision point that comes to us. And this invitation of Jesus to come. He comes up and says, come follow me. And then he explains that by saying, I'm going to make you fish for people. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Maybe that's the translation you're more familiar with. But I guarantee you, Peter, Andrew, James, John, none of them knew what that meant. This was not something to sign on for because they understood what Jesus was talking about. They were at the edge and they had a decision point. Are they going to leap or not? And are they going to leap into the unknown? And Matthew records for both of them what they had to do is they had to leave something behind. It says Peter had to leave the nets. James and John had to leave the boats. And their father, something was left behind. And so as we hear the invitation of Jesus, and the invitation of Jesus is now extended to you and to me to follow what I want you to understand, what Matthew is convincing us of or trying to tell us of is that the first step in following Jesus is to leave something behind. That's what the leap of faith is. That's what the decision point is. Because for them, very much, you can think of the nets as a security net, as a safety net. Because it was familiar to them. It was trusted to them. They knew they would be able to make money this way. They understood this industry. They had relationships. James and John, their father is out there with them. This is a family business. But that's the point of a leap of faith, is you have to leave that which you know and trust and take the jump. When I'm standing on top of the bridge, we were having to leave the safety of the bridge. 
to jump into the cold water below. And maybe you've been at one of those decision moments where you're like, it's all going to change after this. Perhaps it was that first time you had to choose between what school to go to. Maybe it's that first time that you decided, will I ask them out or not? Maybe it was a decision that you made for Jesus at some point. What's it going to be like on the other side of this? Maybe it's deciding to say yes to that job, yes to that career. And you know that to say yes, you've got to leave something behind. We have to leave that which is safe, that which is familiar, that which is comfortable behind if we're going to take the leap. So here's some safety nets that I thought for us. What do you need to leave behind? What's your safety net? What's your thing? Some of the safety nets that I started thinking about come with the list. The first one's this. For some of us, we've got too much stuff. Right? I mean, let's, let's just be honest. We've got too much stuff. And, and please don't hear me. My job is not to make you feel guilty about this today. I, I do want you to be convicted, though, that just like Peter, we've got to open up our hands and let the nets go, oftentimes. And we're like one of the first societies in history that buys other storage locations for the stuff we can't store in our house. And so perhaps there's this moment of, Jesus I like, but my stuff I trust. And we are gripping and hanging on to that as hard as strong as we can. Here's another one. It's our career, maybe. And, and this may apply far more to those of you that are still in the, in the age where you're deciding your career and you've got more of your working years ahead of you than you have behind you. But there may be a question that you need to wrestle with. Have I offered my career, my job plans, up to God yet? Ha, have I allowed Him to come in and have a say in how I'm going to spend my working years in this life. Because if you do that, there may be something that you're very comfortable doing, but he may call you into something else. And if you're willing to say, I'm going to take a leap of faith and I'll pursue that, it may be our careers. And see, is wealth inherently bad? Is our stuff inherently bad? Is a career inherently bad? Not at all. But neither were the fishing nets that day. Now, some of them we may need to challenge. Here's another one. What about our comfort level? In this country, we have the blessing of judging faithfulness based on our comfort level, don't we? We're one of the few cultures in the world, in the world's history, that can go, I will be faithful only with things that make me comfortable. And Jesus is not interested in our comfort zone. He, in fact, he is asking Peter and John and James and Andrew and all those guys to leave their comfort zone. It's the first thing they've got to leave behind. Their safety nets. Maybe this is one for you. Maybe it's our pride. I, I would follow, but 
I'd have to humble myself and I'd have to confess some things that I don't want to say out loud. Or I'd have to finally come to grips with some realities in my life and I'm not always the person that I want to pretend to be out in front of everybody else and that would just be too big of a price to pay. And so when I hear the invitation of Jesus, come follow, I think, oh, I don't know that I can go there. And for some of you, and I don't want this to hurt, but for some of us, maybe it's bitterness. It's bitterness that somebody in the past has hurt you or wounded you, and that's real, and I don't take anything away from that. But when Jesus calls, he's asking you to lay that burden down. He's asking you to extend forgiveness and no longer carry that. Open your hands on that. Because isn't it incredible how quickly and how deeply our bitterness can become a security blanket that we wrap around ourselves? I got hurt, and so therefore I'm going to wrap myself in the security blanket. Nobody's ever going to hurt me like that again. And Jesus is trying to gently but directly call us out of that. So maybe we need to forgive. This is just some of our nets. This is not an exhaustive list. But I wanted to give us an idea of what it was like to wrestle with this. So that when we hear the invitation of Jesus, come follow me. That we realize that one of the first things we've got to do is we've got to let down the nets and leave them behind. We've got to let go of something. Peter could have gripped on tight to the nets and said no. But he opened and let them go. Now, a question if you're not yet a follower of Jesus. A fair question is, what gives Jesus the right? What gives Jesus the right to step into my world that seems to be functioning okay and ask me to let something go and leave it behind to follow And what I would tell you is that Jesus has this right and he is the only one that can actually do this because he did this first. This is the Jesus story. This is the Jesus experience. Jesus was the very first to take that leap of faith. And the Apostle Paul, who's going to have to take his own decision moment much later after Peter... He was going one way, persecuting the church. He was trying to hunt down anybody that was a follower of Jesus and snuff this new movement out. He has an encounter with Jesus. He's asked to take the sleep of faith. And as he reflects back on this and reflects on what Jesus did, he writes in this book that we call Philippians. It's a letter. And in Philippians chapter 2, we have these very famous words. And you may be familiar with this. In fact, I'm going to put up the ESV version, the English Standard Version, because I love how they translate this. And I want you to show what Jesus did. Who, this being Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. And look at that phrase. A thing to be grasped. goes on. But instead, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See? He, he could have held on tightly to the best comfort zone of all, heaven. And yet he lets go. Not just let's go to come to earth, but let's go to come to earth and be misunderstood, mistreated, abused, 
and executed. But he had a mission and he had a purpose. And that's what Jesus offers to Peter on that day. Come follow me and I'm going to give you a whole new purpose. We say around here, we want to live life on mission. That's exactly what Peter was talking, Jesus was talking to Peter about that day. I'm going to make you fishers of men. I'm going to have you fish for people. You're going to be part of a movement now that reconciles people back to myself. The one that laid down his life on the cross, that did this whole thing first. That's what you get to be a part of. And Peter, all you got to do is let go of the net. Now remember, we have a different view of Peter because we see Peter from the, the lens of the end of his life. We know that Peter ends up writing two books of the Bible. We know now that we're going to name churches and hospitals after him. But in this moment, when he's still holding the net, Peter can't see any of that. He has no idea. He doesn't even know what's at stake when he lets it go. But if he's willing to let go, there's an adventure and a purpose waiting for him. A few years ago, as many of you know, I had an opportunity to, to tour parts of the Holy Land. And around the Sea of Galilee, there's a town called Capernaum, and this is the town where Peter's from, and Jesus had a base of ministry there because he stayed at Peter's house. I want to show you a picture from an aerial photo. This is where a lot of the excavation ha has happened. The water that you see is the Sea of Galilee. The octagon building here is a, is a church, a memorial that's now been built over what they think might have been Peter's house. They think it might have been Peter's house because it was clearly a place of worship in a church early on in its history. And they think what may have happened there is that Peter invited new believers into his home and they would have a worship service after Jesus had already ascended back again and he would be developing new followers of Jesus here and worshiping together. Now, the thing that I want you to understand about this is whether this is the actual site or not, we know Peter lived in this town. I want you to see how close to the water it is. And I just want you to imagine with me, because this is the thought that struck me when I saw how close the water, it's feet from the water. I could just picture Peter one Sunday. Jesus has already ascended back into heaven, and this is before Peter's execution. That he's pastoring, he's shepherding this small group of believers. And he's preaching the gospel message, and he's preaching the gospel message, and now he knows what it means to be a fisher of men. And he steps out, perhaps, after a worship service, as everybody's making their way to Luby's or wherever they ate in Capernaum. And he looks at the water. And he thought to himself, that's where it all began. That's where he came and found me the first day. What if I had never let go of the nets? Because the invitation of Jesus, I can guarantee you, does not come easy. It doesn't come without cost. And it doesn't keep you in your comfort zone. But what Peter knew in that moment, so many years later when we could look back, what I can guarantee, and the offer that Jesus has is, if you let go and you leave the nets behind, it's a life of no regrets whatsoever. 
you'll never regret it. It will always be worth it. So on that bridge, there we stood debating back and forth, trying to dare each other. Finally, in some kind of strange pact that we had together, we're going to jump together. I don't want to say it's the most manly thing I've ever done, but we held hands. And we leaped. And then a miracle occurred because the water was so cold that we walked on top of it to get out. Now, that's a simple, silly story, I admit. But I wouldn't trade that story in for the world. And neither would Peter trade in the day that he let down the nets and took the leap of faith. There's the invitation that we have. So each Sunday this year, this summer, with this series, we want to give a particular I'm in challenge. A chance for you to take at least a small leap of faith. So what I'd like you to do, if you want to take it out, you want to take a photo of this, you can. But here's the challenge. I want you to spend time each day this week, from now until Saturday, each day, and it can only be as few as three to five minutes. So spend time in prayer, asking God, having a conversation with God, show me the nets that I'm still hanging on to. Show me the ones that I need to leave behind to answer the invitation. And I guarantee you won't regret it. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for Peter that on that day that he heard the invitation was willing to leave the nest behind, open his hands, and follow. So Father, I'm going to confess that there's so many things that I hang on to so tight. My pride, my comfort. Perhaps there's a room full and an audience that's watching online that's filling in that own blank right now in their own way. Perhaps it's bitterness. But the Father, the idea of fully trusting you and taking that leap is scary. So, Father, I'd ask that you would help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and see the one that laid down his life for us. He took the leap of faith that made everything else possible. And that's good news. Father, I ask that this week you would begin the process of identifying for each of us. What do we need to leave behind? What do we need to let go of? What is keeping us from an I'm in posture with Jesus? And Father, then as you identify that for us, give us the courage to walk away. Father, I ask all this in the name of the one that leapt first, that was bold in his love, bold in his grace, bold in his forgiveness for us. And may we forever leap into his arms. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.